0: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 317 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Lyme Support, an interview with Dr. Christine Asano. My name is Amanda Milley. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So what stuck out for me during this interview was the fact that Dr. Asano comes from a clinical background. And the fact that she still also went through a lot of the things that people who are trying to get a Lyme diagnosis go through of not being believed as a clinical person and by her colleagues was quite interesting to me and her whole journey of going from fully clinical to now being 100% all for the holistic approach is quite fascinating so all that in between you know have a listen from her journey to healing 20 years it took to get a diagnosis, that to me is mind blowing. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Okay, Dr. Asno, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome, happy to be here.
0: It's awesome, we've got New York, Florida and London in the house. (laughs) So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, Um, you know, like where you grew up, um, who you are at the moment, what do you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Christine Arsenault. I've been a pharmacist for over 14 years. I'm a health coach as well. Uh, Right now I'm located in St. Augustine, Florida. And I grew up um, in multiple places. I was an army brat. So uh, we moved around quite a bit when I was younger. Um, Did most of my growing up in Germany. That was ages 10 to 18. Were you born in Germany? Uh, no I was born in Virginia okay so at
0: what age did you move to
1: Germany Um, when I well when I was 10 I lived in Germany for a year when I was three as well so basically I lived in Virginia North Carolina New Mexico Germany Michigan California and now Florida (laughs) wow Yeah. How
0: did you, how did you handle that with the constant moving, you know, from place to place? Was that something that was normal for you because you were kind of born into it or did you have to adjust each time?
1: Yeah, it was pretty normal being a military brat. Um, You know, all of my friends moved like every two, three years. I was actually lucky enough to not move quite as often as a lot of my peers. Um, So you know being in germany from ages 10 to 18 was was really nice those were my you know adolescent years i was able to stay there for a longer amount of time than you typically do with the military um but it was still hard because you know you're you make a friend and then you know they're going to move in two years and um yeah it's kind of hard to have like a a stable friend stable friendships you know i didn't have like yeah. that one friend that i've known since kindergarten that i grew up with because everybody's always moving. Do you
0: feel like that affected how you connected with people with your friends because you knew that you only had a set amount of time with them so you didn't let yourself get close enough?
1: Yeah I, I, I think it, it could be both ways like in some ways I knew how to make connections very quickly because I knew I didn't have long so I've never been like a fan of small talk I kind of just jump right in and get to know somebody Um, But at the same time, you would also kind of put walls up, knowing that somebody was going to move. So it's kind of like both sides. I'd try my best to cherish the friendships that I had. But then at the same time, once somebody like had that date where they were moving, it was kind of like, oh, well, my best friend's not going to be here anymore. I need to make some other friends. You kind of distance yourself. So yeah, it's kind of of a weird thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what kind of um, child were you like, you know, were you... Outgoing? Were you what? What were you playing sports? What were you into?
1: I was pretty shy as a kid. Um, definitely into school, into reading. Um, I loved school. You know, got really good grades. Um, I was. I, I kind of got to be more outgoing as I got older. So I played a lot of sports, like in in high school. I ran track, played volleyball, and I've also. Um, been a dancer. I was danced since like first grade, so definitely had some other activities that I did, um, but definitely very focused on school and getting good grades and learning.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like even though you were shy, you were still able to do lots of different activities and do different things you liked. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: That's great. So did you when you were younger, what is it that you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: So I always wanted to be a teacher and I think it was just because I loved school so much and that was pretty much my only role models I had, you know, I didn't have any real world experience. I didn't really know much about any other professions. So I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, And then as I kind of got later on in high school, like figuring out what I really wanted to do um, you know, healthcare seemed like a good field because I was really good at school and I liked helping people. And so then I kind of started exploring other options.
0: That's awesome. So you always had this passion for helping other people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: So should we talk about, um, when you, your symptoms begin to develop, um, where they begin?
1: Yeah. Um, It's hard to pinpoint exactly because I got bit by a tick when I was nine and I didn't get the diagnosis till much later. So there wasn't really like one certain date where I got sick. It's more like looking back, I see all of these things and how they were probably related to that tick bite. And like, for instance, gut issues, I've had gut issues my whole life, or at least I used to. And, um, it was like, I, that was all I knew. So I didn't know that your stomach's not supposed to be like swollen and painful after you eat, but that's not normal because that's just how it always was for me. Um, and like, I had a lot of skin issues, psoriasis, Mm. and just like a lot of infections. None of the, nothing was like out of the ordinary on its own, but it just seemed that I got a lot of infections and I got them like way more than my friends got and way worse. And, Um, so like looking back, I see a lot of patterns, but it wasn't until I had some like bigger things go wrong that I really started digging. And then it was like the fatigue and the joint pain had really gotten bad at that point. Like once I kind of figured out my diagnosis.
0: But if we go back to when you said you were bitten by a tick when you were nine years old. Yeah. So when you were bitten by a tick, can you just talk us through like what happened? Where were you when you got bitten? Yeah,
1: yeah. I remember, I I remember being in my bathroom and I lived in North Carolina at the time and I had a tick, um, like on, like near my groin and it was like fully engorged, full of blood. And I don't remember, I don't think that I even told an adult, I think I just like pulled it off of me and went about my life. And I can't really remember for sure. It's like, I try to think back to that day, but the more times you like try to remember a memory, the more you're just, it, it kind of gets confusing. Right. Um, yeah. you're like remembering your, your memory and it's kind of like a copy where it gets distorted. And so it's like, I don't really remember the details other than that it was on my groin and it was fully engorged. And I don't think I even told anybody, did anything, made any connection. I don't even know if I really knew what it was at that age.
0: Yeah. So typically sounds like you weren't aware even of you know like what tick bites could do to you or that it was serious so you just kind of pulled it off and went about your business
1: yeah yeah I don't think I you know I you know I played outside with my friends and I don't like I probably just thought it was a bug or I don't I don't know what I thought you know I'm I'm sure I didn't know anything about ticks and what they could do to you at that point so So you
0: had never had a conversation, for example, with your parents or with anybody about, you know, tick bites or what to do if you're bitten?
1: No, I don't. I don't think so. Not that I can remember.
0: Yeah. And were you aware um, at a young age of Lyme at all or what it was?
1: Um, No, I don't. I don't think I was at that point. I don't if I think back my earliest recollection, it probably would be like pharmacy school where I learned about Lyme disease. I don't, I don't know if I oh wow, knew yeah much about, I mean, I'm sure I had heard of it, but I, it wasn't really in my life. I didn't know much about it.
0: Yeah. So you had all these symptoms that seemed like they were quite separate. So you, it took a while for you to kind of put them all together to get to where you got to at what point did all these little symptoms or, you know, you're talking about your gut issues and things like that. What point did it start to affect your life?
1: Uh, I think it always affected my life, but I just thought, you know, like my mom would just be like, Oh, you're just a sensitive kid. You just have a sensitive stomach. I would, you know, get carsick all the time. And, you know, i just, I vomited a lot throughout my life. Like I just would eat something that wouldn't agree with me. It wouldn't settle. Um, and that I just thought that was me. I didn't realize it was, an actual problem or, you know, a health condition. Um, it wasn't until I, um, like had kind of serious things that I was like, maybe there's like something wrong, something underlying going on. Um, so when I was, I think about 27, I had a miscarriage And that developed into this rare form of cancer where the fetal cells stay in your body and they start replicating. And so I had to go through chemo for that. And again, that just seemed like some fluke thing. Um, But then about a year after that, I had meningitis and I was hospitalized. And at that point I was like, this is getting weird that I'm having like such big issues when I'm so young and I thought healthy. Like I've always been pretty health conscious. I've always been really, you know, conscious about what I put in my body and getting exercise and things like that. And so I was just like, this is kind of weird that I'm having such big things happen. Like maybe there's an underlying issue. Maybe there's something going on with my immune system. And so that's when I really, and it was about that time too, where I just started to feel really fatigued and you know, really in pain. And and I guess I've kind of have been pretty fatigued my whole life. But again, it was just my normal. Um, you Like my friends would kind of joke with me because like if I would go on a trip with them, if if we would be on the plane together, if they would stop talking to me for like three minutes, they would look over and I'd be asleep. Like I just practically had narcolepsy. I could fall asleep instantly. Like I was just always tired. But again, like I just that was just my normal. I didn't know any different. So it wasn't until like I had those really big things that I was like, hmm, maybe there's actually something going on. Yeah.
0: So in that time, you're saying from the age of nine till 27. So you got used to feeling ill. It became your normal. So you never yeah. ever questioned it. But I'm assuming, or is it safe to assume when you were having different symptoms, you were seeing doctors um, to be treated for those different things? Or were you just feeling ill and just thinking it was normal and going about it?
1: Um. So- sometimes I would just, you know, feel ill and get over it and not go to the doctor. But sometimes, you know, like I would get strep throat and it would just be more intense than anybody else. It would be like my tonsils were so pussy and swollen. They were like touching and I was having a hard time breathing. So I would have to go to the doctor or like UTIs or this or that, like, you know, I would get courses of antibiotics for different things and, and they all just seemed like acute conditions. So I never, you know, press the doctor to, to see if there was anything else going on with my immune system. I just seemed like they were just one-off instances.
0: Um, did your doctor also ever press to think, okay, you've come to me for different symptoms at different points. Um, should we look further, investigate further into this or was it because it was different doctors you were seeing?
1: Yeah, it was always different doctors because again, that military lifestyle, like I lived in different places, doctors moved every, you know, the doctors were all military doctors. so it was, yeah, I had like the same records that they could review, but it was, you know, nobody ever put the pieces together. I just kind of thought of myself as kind of sickly or kind of sensitive and like the gut issues weren't severe enough. And then like, I had headaches. I, I, you know, saw the doctor for headaches and they, you know, checked my vision and checked different things and didn't really have a explanation. And it was just, everything was kind of vague and and kind of came in spurts and I didn't really, you know, make the connection that there was something else going on.
0: I think that's also kind of the, the, the frustrating thing about this is like all the symptoms present differently Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and there is no one size fits all. So it's really hard to get to a point where you pinpoint like, this is what's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, But you're saying you, you got to a point when you were about 27, you know, after you've you've gone through your miscarriage and you had the the cancer um, where you felt like there was maybe something more going on for you there. So what did you do then?
1: Um, So at that time it was after I had the meningitis and um, it was from varicella. So the chicken pox virus basically got reactivated. um, At least that's what they found in my spinal fluid. And which again, I thought was weird because usually, you know, it gets reactivated as shingles when you're older and your immune system is suppressed. And I was like, well, I'm in my twenties and healthy. Why is my immune system like allowing this to come back out? So I kind of, I was asking questions. I don't feel like any, any doctors really, you know, thought of anything. Like nobody really wanted to to push any further except for me. I just kind of knew. And then at that time, I was working as a clinical pharmacist in a hospital and well, actually when I was hospitalized um, with meningitis, I was in the hospital that I worked at and I knew the infectious disease doctor and I asked her if she would test me for Lyme and tick-borne infections because I knew that, you know, I didn't have a tick bite that I recalled that was recent, but I had been hiking with my dogs and had pulled ticks off of them. And I just thought like, well, meningitis, maybe it's a tick-borne kind of thing. And she told me there was no such thing as chronic Lyme disease and refused to do any testing, um, which I just thought was weird because I was like, well, meningitis is an acute condition. I'm not, I would, I wasn't even saying anything about it being chronic at that point. I was just trying to figure out what was going on with me at that moment. So it was like, I already could tell that that was weird. Um, but because I was working at a hospital and I was actually, passionate about holistic natural approaches. Um, I, I, at this point, I already didn't feel like being a pharmacist really, I almost felt like a fraud in my profession because I've always been more passionate about natural routes. And so, um, I was working as a pharmacist in a hospital, but I was also doing some health coaching and working with a doctor that was more holistic and seeing some of his, his patients and doing health coaching programs with them. Um, just on the side to kind of feel more fulfilled because I I just didn't feel like dispensing pharmaceuticals was really fulfilling to me. Um, And it was actually him that kind of pushed me to get tested. I, I think I was, like, I knew something was going on, but I was still kind of in denial. And I just remember having this conversation with him about how I would get to work and I would put my purse down in the break room and then walk a few doors over to where the lab coats were to put my lab coat on. And then walk back and pick up my purse on the way out because just walking those extra steps with carrying my purse was exhausting. And he was like, and like, to me, that was just normal. Like I had just kept adapting, kept adapting, kept adapting. And he was like, hello, like you're in your twenties. This is not normal. Like you need to do something. And I was kind of like, like just hearing that perspective from somebody else was like, oh, you're right. Like this is not normal. I should not be this fatigued that I'm like calculating every little ounce of energy I have throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so he really pushed me. So he he was not a Lyme literate doctor at that time, but he had been learning a lot about Lyme because basically his whole family had it, or he thought that's what was going on. And so he kind of pushed for me to get tested and ordered the testing for me. And that was kind of like the start of the journey where I discovered that diagnosis.
0: It's fascinating to me that, you know, as uh, you know, you worked in a hospital, you were in the field and you were pretty much talking to one of your colleagues saying, hey, this is what's going on for me. Can you test me? And they just flat out shut you down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like shocked, like, okay, like you're not even going to consider it. Like at this point we didn't even have any tests. Like my bacterial test came back negative. We knew it wasn't bacterial meningitis, but we were still like and yeah, she was just like, wasn't open to it at all. Did she give you her reasoning apart from? She just said chronic Lyme disease doesn't exist. It was like, <laughs> shut me down. And I was like, like, I didn't even say anything about chronic, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that, is, that must have been very frustrating for you though too, because I, I certainly know, like I felt like I wasn't, you know in yourself that something's wrong and you're not being listened to or not even being given an opportunity to explore what it is that you're going through so like how did that affect did that affect you at all like mentally
1: well it kind of felt like a double whammy because it was like a doctor patient relationship and also a colleague to colleague relationship and she didn't take me seriously Mm -hmm. um if anything that just made it click to me that oh yeah, the system is set against patients. Like for people, especially with Lyme disease, which I didn't know that I had it at the time, but I was just like, oh, this controversy is real. Like these infectious disease doctors are completely blind. They're not even willing to think that this could be a possibility. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so were you, did you have, what kind of support did you have around you at that time? Were you talking to friends and family about what you were going through? Were they- understanding what is what was happening for you were they believing you what was going on
1: um yeah I mean that that one doctor that I was working with I would say that was like a big you know support system like uh, he made me kind of feel validated like okay yeah maybe there is something going on like this isn't normal but I'm telling him my symptoms are um so maybe there is something and I like I hadn't felt validated until then Um, you know, my parents were not supportive. Um, I mean, they, they thought they were supportive, but you know, my mom was just like, you're healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And as I, you know, got testing, it was like, Oh, these doctors, they just want to make money. These tests don't mean anything. There's nothing wrong with you. So it was like, yeah, I didn't have that support. And it's like, I know, you know, like you kind of start to question yourself and feel like you're crazy when you're going through this because there's so many different symptoms. Yeah. So then when you have other people in your life that are not validating you and that are like, yeah, you're crazy or like, yeah, there's nothing going on with you. Um, it makes that journey even that much more difficult, mm. but I just knew. And, and it was weird because I had been dabbling in health coaching at that time. And I just kept coming across people who had Lyme disease or whose symptoms Seemed very likely that they had it, and I was telling them they should look into it, and it just kept coming up in my life. Um, So, like, I, I, I see these as signs now. Like, I even remember a presentation in the hospital. um, We would have like rounds um, where it was a teaching hospital, so we had resident doctors. So they were like just becoming doctors and. Um, they would do like presentations every week or every month. And like one of them did a presentation on chronic Lyme and how it can manifest, you know, as this longer term thing. And looking back, I'm like, oh, that was actually a pretty progressive presentation. I'm surprised they approved that and, and let them do it. <laughs> um, and so like that, I think that was kind of when I first started learning about the more longer term. And then I kept having these clients that had these symptoms that seemed like it. And then I had that holistic doctor whose family had Lyme and got, he, you know, pushed for me to get tested about that same time. I actually, I lived in Michigan at the time and I actually flew out to California for an ILADS meeting um, because I was working with that holistic doctor and he wanted me to learn more about Lyme because we were seeing it so much in different clients and and things. And um, so I flew out to ILADS and as I sat there, this was before I got the diagnosis, I was just like listening to everything. And I'm like, this sounds familiar and this sounds familiar and this sounds And I was kind of like, Oh, maybe I do need to get tested. And so it was just like all of these synchronicities that kept happening and Lyme just kept popping up. And it was like, I couldn't ignore it.
0: <laughs> okay. I think Matt, you want to have a question for her?
2: Yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, Amanda. I know, uh, this is your part of the interview, but I have to ask <laughs> Dr. Arsenault that. So, just correct me if I'm wrong. Where were you living at this point? So you're you're working as a pharmacist and w- where are you living right now?
1: In Michigan. This is in, in Michigan. Ka- Kalamazoo, Michigan.
2: Okay. And is is Lyme very prevalent in Michigan? I mean, it sounds like most people would say maybe not, but yet you're seeing a lot of cases of it that are making you think Lyme for yourself, right?
1: Yeah, I was seeing it. a lot, And so some of the clients that I was working with were not in Michigan. I was working virtually, um, but I was seeing it in Michigan as well. And even like I was working on the neuro floor in the hospital and like the symptoms that people were coming in with, I was just like, Oh, that sounds like it could be Lyme. That's like, it just seemed like everything around me seemed like it could be. And of course I knew, you know, not everything was, but the doctors weren't, it wasn't even on their radar. They weren't even testing for it. Um, So yeah, there, there was quite a bit of Lyme and a lot of people weren't going through the Typical medical establishment. Like we have um, some Amish people nearby that were doing like cell testing, looking at people's blood and like finding tick borne illness that way. And like, so there was a lot of people that were doing non traditional things to, to test for Lyme. And, you know, it turned out there was a lot of Lyme going on. It just wasn't being recognized in the, the Western medicine establishment.
2: So Amish people were looking at patients' blood under a microscope, I guess, and identifying mm-hmm. Lyme. And these are people with almost no technology at all, but yet our modern society was not able to do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That,
2: that <laughs> blows my mind. That's the first time you have heard on this podcast where we have Amish people diagnosing Lyme disease with no technology, but yet these you know, scientific medical facilities can't, right? But my, my, my other observation is that you, as a child, you moved around a lot. You saw a lot of different doctors. There was no continuity of care with people, right? And then also you had some relationship issues with your mom, I believe, right? So I think all this together probably led to your prolonged diagnosis. Talk to us a little bit about your relationship with your mom and how possibly that led to you doubting yourself from maybe being gaslit by your mom and maybe some emotional abuse there that caused you to doubt yourself if you're really sick, because so many people around you were saying, hey, you're fine. Hey, doctors just want to make money. It's all in your head. And- in your mind, you're like, wow, maybe it really is all in my head. And look, I was there, Dr. Arsena for a while. I thought maybe it's all in my head as well, because we get gaslit by so many people. But I'm curious what your thoughts are about how your relationship with your mom impacted you later on in life to maybe doubt yourself and not be more aggressive to get a diagnosis.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, just, you know, growing up in my family and just like, you know, we all have childhood wounds from things that happen as we grow up, even if we have the best of families. And, you know, my mom definitely has some narcissistic tendencies. And so it was, it was difficult. Um, just my relationship with her was pretty strained. And I think um growing up with the military, it's, it's all about like um, performing. So I was very much into getting straight A's and doing the right things and, you know, pleasing those around me. And it was like, a mixture of the military plus my mom's German, German culture is a bit more like strict and rigid and less loving, I would say. Um, I mean, not everybody, that's a stereotype, but um, it was, it was kind of about appearance and like uh, in the military, for example, like if I were to get a speeding ticket, my dad would have to go speak to his commander. He would be held responsible because it's like, if you can't even, you know, manage your family, how can you manage soldiers in war? And so everything that you do is a reflection of your parents. And that's just a lot of stress on somebody growing up. And also, like, knowing that your country always comes before you, you know, like, um, I was, you know, a kid living in North Carolina, and my dad was away at the Gulf War, like he wasn't there on Christmas. And, you know, as maybe I was like, eight or nine at that time. And it's like, you know, you know, your, your dad loves you, your family loves you, but at the same time, they have to do what the military tells them to do. Their job comes first, the country comes first. So you kind of feel like you're not important, like you're not valued. Um, And then, yeah, like with my mom, it was like, you always had to be a certain way. And, and even with my whole profession, I feel like a big part of the reason I became a pharmacist was because that's what my parents wanted me to do and it wasn't really my passion but I felt kind of lost and then I think you know growing up with a more narcissistic kind of mother I was told that my feelings weren't valid or I was told what to think and so I never really I feel like I was always trying to find myself I didn't really know who I was because somebody else was always telling me who I was and so they were like, "Oh, you you shouldn't be a teacher. Teachers don't make enough money. You should be a pharmacist." And like, um, and then it was like, "Well, um, you know, I do like helping people. Something in healthcare would be good." And on paper, there's so many good things about being a pharmacist. You don't have to deal with you know bodily fluids. Like, I wouldn't want to be a nurse or a doctor and have to, you know, deal with that. Like, a pharmacist is a good, clean profession. But you're still you know, you still can get a doctorate and you can still work in a hospital environment. And it's like, it made a lot of sense on paper. So I I did it and I didn't have like anything else that I wanted to do, but I didn't feel like I chose that profession myself. I feel like my parents were like, oh yeah, this would be great. Why don't you do this? And um, so it was always things like that, where it was like, I had supportive parents, but they only supported me if it was a decision that they thought was good. Um, even at the time, I wanted to stay in Germany and go to German university to become an English teacher, um, and they wanted me to go to school in the states and become a pharmacist. And so it was like, well, if you go to the states, we'll support you financially, we'll help you out. If you stay here, we're cutting you off. So it was like their support kind of influenced the decisions that I made, and I, I didn't feel supported for who I actually was I just felt supported if I did what they wanted me to do Um, so yeah there was definitely a lot of turmoil growing up with my relationship specifically with my mom and um, I, I think I have I developed a type a personality a perfectionist personality you know everything was based on performance so it was kind of like I just kept pushing like I wasn't I, I, maybe I didn't really allow myself to have emotions. So it was just like, oh, I just keep pushing through and keep pushing through no matter what. So I didn't even realize that I was sick because it was like, no, you just get up, you go to work, you keep performing. Like you just keep going and keep going and keep going. But then it was at the point where it was like, I could barely get through the workday. I would come home and collapse as soon as I opened the door. Like maybe something's wrong here. <laughs> maybe I can't just keep pushing through.
0: And it sounds like, you know, everything that kind of got normalized for you, you know, um, the way that you were treated and not being able to make decisions for yourself, for your health, for your career, for anything that you wanted to do, that yeah. all kind of turned into, was normal. Yeah. For you. At what point then did you then think, okay, it is, you know, you'd seen the doctor, you feeling ill, you can barely, you know, Get through the day. Um, what point did you then get the testing done?
1: Um, so that was after I got back from ILAD. So I flew to California for ILADs. I sat there and I was like, this all sounds like me. Maybe, you know, Dr. Wright is right and I, I do need to do this testing. So that was the doctor that I was working with. So he went ahead and ordered the testing. I think that was pretty much right when I got back from California. And then even then I decided to move to California. Even when I was sitting there in ILADS, I really liked one of the doctors that was presenting and he was talking a lot about gut issues and I had had gut issues my whole life. And I was like, I like this doctor. I'm coming back to California. He's going to be my doctor. If I have Lyme, like this is my plan. And so that's basically what I did. I, I started the testing in Michigan and started kind of seeing some practitioners there virtually. And then I moved to California and started working with a Lyme literate functional medicine doctor.
0: So would you say that was a smooth transition for you? Um, did you decide to get tested, to get tested, and what happened next?
1: Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it was smooth. Um, I, p- moving was kind of part of my healing. Like I, I was, um, I didn't feel like Michigan was for me. Um just both culturally, but also like the weather. Um, my, you know, my body ached all the time, especially in winter when it was cold, it was just like really hard for me physically. Um, and I just, I didn't feel completely happy. I didn't feel like it was my place. And so I had went to Michigan for college, mostly because my dad was from Michigan. Um, and again, you know, making decisions based on what my parents thought was the safest for me because I was coming all the way over from Germany. My dad was from Michigan. We had family there. That was like the safest place for me to go. So that's where I went to school, but I, I hated the winters and I had a really hard time um, adjusting to life in the U S because I was used to Europe at that point And it just um I had a hard time like finding really good friendships and I just I didn't feel like Michigan was my place so I decided to move to California it was more progressive there um I was into you know alternative natural healing methods things like that which are just more accepted in California um and there just seemed to be a lot more Lyme literate doctors that could help me and so um yeah I made made that transition
0: And when you got tested, um, what were the results?
1: Um, so I, I, I wasn't CDC positive or it was, um, indeterminate CDC, but it was Igenix positive. Um, I had Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia. And then of course, like I had, you know, multiple viruses and parasites and, and different things. And, um, I don't even, it's kind of like all a blur. I actually kind of sat and reviewed my records before um, when I knew I was going on this podcast, because it was kind of like, it was all such a blur. And it's, I've distanced myself so much from that sick version of me that now I don't even really identify with it. And so I don't even remember all of my test results. Like I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't feel like that's my identity. So it's like, But I had a ton of viruses, a ton of parasites, and then, you know, Bartonella, Babesia, um, and the Lyme.
0: And at what age was
1: this? Um, So this was about age 29, 30. Um, So 29 was when I, yeah, when I got the diagnosis, and then I moved. So probably like right around my 30th birthday, I think is when I moved.
0: So 20 years after you were bitten was when you finally got that diagnosis. Yeah. How did you feel?
1: I felt relieved in a way to have a diagnosis. Like, okay, there's something on paper that explains what's been going on. Part of me was still in denial, like, especially as, you know, it was like this virus and this virus and this parasite. And I was like, how can I have all of these things. How can all of this be wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, like part of me was like believing like the voices, like my mom's voice in my ear, like maybe doctors are just telling me I have all of this. Maybe these tests don't mean anything. Like how could I have like all of these infections? But now that I know what I know about Lyme, it makes sense. Like my immune system was just so suppressed that I picked up all of these infections along the way. And Um, you know it's like you kind of have to peel back the layers and start healing things one at a time and then like it all it all makes sense now that I know what I know
0: yeah and I think it's interesting that you said you know you didn't know what to believe at that point because there'd been all these years of going through all these different symptoms and then asking to be tested and then being told no so when you finally do get the test and you know one would think maybe you you felt relieved that, you know, you'd finally got the diagnosis. And I know I can relate for my own case. I felt angry actually (laughs) when I finally got it because I was thinking all these years I've been saying, you know, something is wrong and I'm not being tested. So it's fascinating for me that you didn't really, you, you were doubting it as well. You were questioning it.
1: Yeah, I was, but I also, I think was grateful that I already knew as much as I knew about Lyme mm-hmm. because I know like so many people get misdiagnosed with so many things and I didn't really have that. I kind of knew right away that Lyme was what I should test for mm-hmm. because it had just kept coming up so much. And I knew like I was my, my own advocate from the start because I had... Th- I had worked in healthcare. So I saw that side. I knew that infectious disease doctors weren't going to be able to help me. I knew that the Western medicine establishment wasn't going to be for me. So I already knew that I had to carve out another path and I had already seen it, you know, like sitting at the cancer center, getting chemo infusions. I was just like, this is not my world. Like, this is not how I want to go. I need to do something natural. Like this is not for me. And I had already been my own advocate during that time. And I already knew that I had to be my own advocate. So I found a Lyme literate doctor right away. I didn't even like mess around with anybody else. I didn't care about getting anything covered under insurance. I was just going to go to the path that was going to help me right away and not waste my time. Because I know a lot of patients waste so much time and energy and money trying to go through the system that isn't really designed to help them.
0: So that is certainly true, and I think you were definitely one of the lucky ones that you were able to immediately know that and you advocated for yourself yeah. from day one you know so that that in itself I think is quite amazing yeah thank you so you're now you 've now been diagnosed you 've gone through twenty years of symptoms of different illnesses that are not quite connecting, not quite making the dots, and then you finally now have your diagnosis. And I think Matt will take you through that process of, you know, what you went through as you were working to heal.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Arsenault, we obviously checked out your website, LimeSupport.com, for everybody listening. And you know, there's this, your stories on there, what you, your background, everything we've talked about so far, but also what you did to treat. And we have a lot of questions about your treatment journey your ultimate destination to health, and now what you're doing, you know, to help and give back to other people. But let's focus on exactly what you did. Once you got diagnosed, you're living in California, you have a doctor that you like, you're obviously trained in medicine, because you were a pharmacist, you were in contact with with doctors all the time, what, and you have this natural background, what were your first steps to treat Lyme disease? And it wasn't just Lyme, you had Lyme, Babesia and Bartonella. What were your first steps to treat these things once you realized what was going on in your body?
1: So our first step was treating my gut. So, um, you know, I came to the conclusion and the functional medicine doctor, their um, method was to treat the gut first because my, you know, I had leaky gut and it didn't make sense to just start treating bacteria if my system couldn't handle it and I would be overwhelmed. So we started by getting my gut in healthier shape before we even, you know, really did anything else.
2: What kind of herbs were you using, Dr. Arsenault, for your gut health? Obviously, you were very into natural medicine. What were you doing? Probiotics, herbs? Can you give us some more detail about exactly what you did to restore your gut health?
1: Yeah. So a lot of it was diet, you know, cutting out gluten and dairy and just being strict because I had been gluten-free off and on throughout my life, but not very strict. And so it was like, okay, no, this has to happen for my gut to actually heal. Um, So that was really the biggest part. Um, I did some homeopathy um, and different, er the herbs were kind of dependent on like the parasites that came up um, as we tested. Um, And, you know, like a lot of bone broth, probiotics, um, that was the, the mainstay.
2: So you were finding parasites in your gut based on testing, it sounds like. What kind of testing were you doing to identify the types of parasites to then determine what herbs to use to go after these parasites?
1: Um, so it, um, doctors, let's see, DDI, what is that? Um, can't remember the exact name of the test, like doctor diagnosis something, and DDI is the abbreviation for it. That was one of the main tests. Um, trying to think because I did a lot and it was, um, you know, like we we would kind of like get to a better place and then do a different kind of test. And um, it, so it didn't necessarily all happen at once. Um,
2: what was the name of the practitioner again you were working with who did this testing?
1: So this was Dr. Sunya Schweik and he's at the California Center for Functional Medicine.
2: Okay. So he was doing this California Center for Functional Medicine. He was doing a lot of this testing to dictate your treatment with herbs or so your gut at first, right? Yes. Yeah. So-
1: Genova was another one of the main stool tests that I did.
2: So you were doing stool tests as well. And these stool tests, what were they, were the stool tests identifying the parasites? And if so, were they doing anything else beyond that? Because we know, we've heard a lot about stool samples being able to identify imbalances in, you know, your gut flora and things like that to identify Mm -hmm. what probiotics to use. So just give us an idea as to what these stool tests are being used for and how you were responding to the data of the test results.
1: Yeah. So they were showing like the, the dysbiosis in my gut, what, what bacteria was off as well as the parasites. And so that kind of helped us knowing what probiotics to take as well as what parasites might need to be treated. And then I also had candida, I guess I didn't even bring that up. I have, I've had yeast issues my whole life too. That was one of my main things. So um, a lot of times the stool test would show candida. So I did have to treat my candida as well.
2: With the, you, the homeopathy and the herbs you were using to treat the candida and the parasites, do you recall any of the herbs that were used or were these just proprietary tinctures and things like that given to you at this California Functional Medicine Clinic?
1: Um, there was, I think it was called GI Detox was one of the ones, like a lot of them were combinations of herbs um, just for gut health in general. I did do, I had... Um, blastocystis hominis was one of my parasites. So I did take a pharmaceutical for that, Alinea. Um, So I tried to do the herbs as much as I could. And a lot of them were, you know, tinctures with multiple herbs in them.
2: So when did you know that you were well enough with your gut health and your candida and your parasites to move on to the next level of treatment? Were you using the stool tests and other tests being done at your clinic to identify, you know, what's going on and then when to move on to the next step.
1: That as well as symptoms. So a lot of it was symptom based, like not feeling bloated, having more energy, um, you know, having regular bowel movements, things like that, um, as well as doing some
2: retesting. So you were having more regular bowel movements, you were getting some more energy back and you were seeing symptom improvement plus the tests were coming out better. So it sounds like then at that point you then pivoted over to more of a kill protocol for these pathogens beyond the gut health and the parasites. Yes. So walk us through what that was like. So what you did next and what those treatment protocols were.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and I have to say that it, like I was also going through therapy and like doing other things. So, you know, this is like the physical protocol part, but it was definitely much, much more than just, you know, the physical protocol that I did with the functional medicine doctor that got me to that next step. Um, We use the Byron White formulas. So um, I use that for the Lyme and the Bartonella and I didn't actually treat the Babesia specifically, it just kind of responded on its own after everything else was kind of
2: taken care of. Dr. Arsenal, I'm gonna back up because you brought up a really important part of healing, which is therapy, mindset work. And again, anybody listening for the first time, if you listen to this podcast, you know we're not saying it's all in your head. It's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is mindset, nervous system and mental health is an important part of the healing journey because if you're stuck in fight or flight, and if you don't have the belief you can get better, You're not going to take steps to heal, and you're also not going to be able to put your place in your body in a place where you can heal if you're stuck in fight or flight all the time. So walk us through what kind of work you were doing on the mind side while you were addressing the body with the gut health, the parasites, and the candida. Because I'm curious to know what you were doing there, any techniques you can share with us, or specific tips and tricks you can give to our listeners from the mental health side and the mindset side.
1: Yeah. So... Well, part of it was the move for my mental health, moving somewhere that I wanted to be, that I was excited to live. Also changing my career. um, So from a hospital setting to a holistic pharmacy. So I was then managing a compounding pharmacy that was um, more integrative, where we had a lot of natural products as well as the typical pharmacy. Um, So that just felt more in line with um, my values. So that was an important shift for me. Um going through therapy and processing emotions and kind of um, realizing, you know, childhood wounds that I had and crying like I just I did a ton of crying because I realized that I had suppressed so many emotions. I hadn't fully felt things. And I think that was a huge part that was keeping me sick was all of these emotions I had just suppressed. And so it was like things were coming up that I had to deal with. I had to feel my way um out of that and and I I think like I had just had like a lot of stagnant energy so shifting that energy um was part of it and so like therapy and crying and then yeah realizing how important the mind was to healing as well um and yeah it's like your mindset is always part of it and I I don't usually lead with that like when I talk to people because I think When you're in it, you don't think that your mind has anything to do with it, but it really does. Um, So, just being really careful of like the words that I used and, um, you know, talking about my symptoms or, you know, saying I was sick versus saying I was healing and um, just realizing I I just did a lot of research about, you know, like the mind body connection and um, realizing how much control we actually have and realizing that everything is energy, our thoughts are energy, words are energy, and energy equals matter, you know, E equals MC squared. So we can make changes on an energetic level as well as on the physical level. So really, if anything, as I went along, I focused less and less on the physical. And like, I didn't care so much about lab tests. I didn't care so much about the physical protocol. I realized that I already had everything that I needed inside of me to heal and that I could do it on my own. And uh, for me, nature was a huge part of that. So like being in nature, like physically touching the earth with my bare feet, my bare hands, because um, the the earth is always giving out these electrons. It's like actually reducing inflammation in our body. And that helped me kind of get into that parasympathetic state. So just like going to the beach, like trying to live my best life. Like I, going I'm moving to California I'm going to the beach and I'm just gonna like lay there and let the earth heal me and like realizing how I have this power and I don't need to even do all of these things and yes all the physical things I did were helpful but like realizing that I had that power there was nothing that helped me more than that
2: and in your pre-interview questionnaire you said something really powerful that you had to overcome your own mind every damn day Otherwise you would feel hopeless and like you would never heal. And I think every single chronic Lyme patient can relate to that, Dr. Arsenault. So, you know, there's this, this mind body connection. And I just had this conversation this past week with a colleague of mine who is struggling with an autoimmune disease. And we talked about the mind body connection where yes, physically, we understand people listening to this podcast. You may physically be in pain. However, the way we think and the way we, the way we, uh, The way our, our mind works and the way our emotions work, we can actually trigger chemical reactions in our body to increase more inflammation to make us feel worse or to put in a place of healing to decrease the inflammation by releasing chemicals that are healing chemicals based on the way we think. Now, I'm not saying you could just change your mind and think differently and cure yourself. That's not what I'm saying, but they can assist in the process and either promote a healing environment or put your body in a place where you simply can't heal no matter what you're doing with medicine and on the physical side. I think it's an important note. We don't talk about enough in the chronic illness community. So let's move on now. So let's talk about the Byron White protocol, because I think you did, he has the, the complexes, right? I think they're AL complexes and the mm-hmm. ABART complexes and the AL is the Lyme complex, right? Yep. And then the yep. ABART is the Bartonella complex, right? Yep. And those are those are herbal blends that he creates for those types of tick-borne illnesses. Now, we haven't had as many people on this podcast use the Byron White formulas as other things like the BUNA protocol or things like that. So walk us through how you felt when you first started taking these protocols. Did you herx pretty bad? Was it more of a gradual, mild reaction? And how long did it take for you to start feeling better on that phase of your healing journey?
1: Yeah, um, I definitely had some herxing. I had to go pretty slow, but as long as I went slow and made sure I was staying on top of detox. It was manageable. Um, I don't remember exactly how long I was on each protocol. Like my overall healing process took about four years. And so I would say probably like a year or two on those protocols specifically. Um, I was also doing like IV vitamin C treatment um, and you know, you doing infrared sauna here and there when I could get to it and I was on low dose naltrexone. So like I wasn't ever just doing one thing. So you were
2: so, you were doing all these things together, but was I guess to try to hone in on them. And if you you may not be able to answer because you were doing these things all at the same time. But the high dose vitamin C, for example, you were doing IV infusions of vitamin C. Was there a short-term immediate response to that that gave you symptom relief while treating that you can share with the listeners? Like, you know, what was your response to that particular therapy?
1: I think so. Like, yeah, like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint because you're always doing more than one thing, but I did, I do feel like the IV vitamin C, um, gave me a little bit of an energy boost, made me feel like, um, I just felt a little bit stronger and more energized after it. I feel like it was really good for my immune system.
2: And the infrared saunas, were they helpful from a pain standpoint, you know, inflammation, you know, pain caused by inflammation? What were you feeling when you would get out of the infrared sauna? Give us an idea of how they helped you.
1: Yeah. My body would just feel better, like less inflamed, less pain afterwards, and maybe a little bit more energy. That was, you know, energy kind of always goes, would go up and down. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly, but, um, just sweating felt good. Um, I, I feel like my body would feel better the next day, less pain.
2: So we got the Byron White protocols, the AL complex, the Abar complex. We have the high dose IV vitamin C. We have the infrared sauna, and you also mentioned the low dal- low dose Naltrexone, which is we hear called LDN for an abbreviation at most uh, a, a lot of times as well. Yeah. So LDN, from what I understand, is uh, off label use of of this protocol that's used to help people. I think wean off of alcohol, right? For alcoholism, sort of similar to disulfiram. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so in, in bigger doses, it's manufactured as 50 milligrams um, or, or higher. In those doses, it's used for alcohol dependence. Um, but for autoimmune kind of things, for pain, we use it at compounded doses at much smaller. So like people usually start with 0.5 milligrams, work their way up to maybe three or 4.5 milligrams. So it's a much smaller dose than the manufactured 50 milligrams.
2: And how does that work? Do you understand how, how it's used off label to actually help people with autoimmune pain, inflammation, et cetera? Like what's the, what's it doing in your body to help you with, with these conditions?
1: So it partially blocks your endorphin receptors so that your body responds by making more endorphins. And so that means less inflammation and helps to modulate your immune system. So basically kind of resetting your immune system, helping it work better and decreasing
2: inflammation in your body. Okay. Now was there anything else you had to do? I know environment is a, he- a huge piece for many people's healing journeys. Was th- was there any mold exposure? Was, you know, even even from a toxicity standpoint with social interactions, right? So, toxicity both in the physical realm, meaning mold, heavy metals, etc., but also in the social realm, meaning toxic relationships that you had to kick because they were just causing you to have stress and not allowing you to heal.
1: Yeah. So both I, I did have, um, mold exposure. And so I, um, I, I wasn't exactly sure where, like I, I had it, I, the back seat of my car would be damp a lot. So I, I thought I might have a mold exposure in my car. So I got rid of that, got a new car. Um, I had mold exposure at an apartment that I was in. So I ended up moving to a different one. Um, so yeah, I, de- I definitely tested for mycotoxins and I, Kind of made changes based on what I thought where I thought it was coming from. Um toxic relationships, absolutely. I feel like I pretty much went into a healing cocoon and there was only like two people I talked to in my life. <laughs> like I just like I I just didn't have energy for anybody and especially anybody that was going to be toxic in any way. Um, so I just I only made time for people that were supportive of me and my journey and Uh, A lot of alone time is what it took for me. I'm I'm an introvert anyway, and I just felt like I didn't have anything to give. I needed to just give to myself during this time. And so, um, yeah, I kind of kind of just concentrated on me. I didn't have a lot of relationships
2: during this time. So one of the things that I found very interesting on your website and also in your pre-interview questionnaire is the use of cannabis. It sounds like cannabis was a really important part of your healing as well. And many people use CBD oil and CBD products and CBD bombs, right? And that's very helpful to calm down the nervous system, reduce anxiety, help with pain and inflammation associated with tick-borne illnesses. But many people don't broach over to the cannabis side because of the whole THC and the hallucinogenic side of things, right? So walk us through, and I know you've done CBD as well, the difference in your experience between CBD and cannabis and the THC side of it and why cannabis and THC was so much more valuable in your healing than CBD was.
1: Yeah, so, um, well, I, I definitely think there's um, you know, a, a purpose for both of them. And I know a lot of people don't have access to the THC part, depending where you live and what the regulations are. So I definitely think there's a benefit to CBD alone as well. Um, but I found the most benefit when I used a combination of CBD and THC. You know, it helps with pain, um, inflammation, Um, basically the cannabis plant helps your body stay in homeostasis. So it wants to bring everything into balance. Your endocannabinoid system is really important for that. Um, and so it, it kind of evens you out. So it helps for me, it helps with energy. A lot of people use it to help with sleep. I use sativa strains to help me feel energized. Like when I would come home and just like collapse and could barely move, I would use a sativa strain to kind of lift myself up. It would kind of take the edge off so that i could then you know at least cook myself dinner or do like something like move my body and not just go right to sleep um i also think that the psychedelic effect is really powerful of of thc it gives you a different perspective um it kind of you know we have a lot of self-judgment when we're healing especially me being a type a personality you know, thinking I need to get certain things accomplished, and then feeling like, um, you know, I'm just not doing enough, I'm not being enough, or or whatever, because I'm I'm sick and I just can't. And like there, we have these judgments around that. So there's the THC part just kind of takes that edge off, where it's like allows you to have some extra compassion for yourself and what you're going through. And it's just like if I can cook myself dinner. I've done enough today. This is what I need. You know, it's like allowed me to kind of take things one step at a time and just appreciate the present moment, like mindfulness and the present moment was another huge thing. Just um, being able to be happy in the present moment, instead of having anxiety about the future. And that's kind of like the whole mindset piece too, is I didn't realize how much anxiety I had in my life and how I was living like In a world that didn't even exist, like thinking about things that could happen or what I, you know, thinking about the future. And so THC was a tool that really helped me stay in the present moment and just be there.
2: And so much of that is probably your nervous system, right? So it sounds like the THC helped you regulate your nervous system because you were in fight or flight, you were imagining these wild what-if scenarios for the future that we get when we have anxiety, but when we can balance our nervous system and activate, you know, this healing side of our nervous system, we can then have more clear, rational thoughts. And that sounds like that's really what THC did for you for from a high level standpoint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: You know, one of the things that you talked to us about earlier and mentioned in your questionnaire as well is the sense of community. Right. And this is an interesting topic because I personally and many people on this podcast have shared, look, when I'm really sick, I just go into this this Isolation mode, right? I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to be around people because I'm sick, and I don't want to. I don't. I just kind of want to be on my own. But what you're arguing is that you you need a sense of community. You had a functional neurologist. You had coaches, Lyme practitioners. You had spiritual leaders, intimate friends, and you only worked with practitioners that included you in the healing process to empower you as a patient, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and on that same note, many of us in the Lyme community feel afraid to go to doctors because we've been gaslit so many times. And we have this fear of, of doctors and we have anxiety when we go to doctors. So you had to overcome all that, all that fear and all of that isolation and all of that gaslighting to now embrace this community to embrace your healing. So talk to us about that piece of it. I think that's an important piece. And many of us, because of the trauma, sort of pull back and isolate ourselves. And you're saying the opposite. We need to embrace community to heal.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a tricky thing because it has to be the right community. So. You know, you can get on like Facebook groups where people are just dedicated to staying sick. They're addicted to those stress hormones and that fight or flight, and they want to stay sick. They want to be a victim. And that's not the right community. That's not the community that's going to help you heal. So it has to be the right community uh, it has to be, you know, a good fit for you. And yeah, I would only work with people who empowered me and didn't make me feel like a victim or a patient, but actually helped me realize the power that I had to heal. and. Again, I think it's because of my experience in, in Western medicine already. I, I feel like the whole system is flawed. Like our food system, our medical system, there's so many things wrong in this world. I had already accepted all of that. I had already kind of had this big epiphany and realized like, in order to be healthy, you kind of have to live like nobody else. And so I just, um, I didn't care to go the normal route and see, you know, doctors that were covered by my insurance or or whatever i knew that i had to seek out people that were different and that were forward thinking and um that's what i did and so yeah i was able to kind of create my own community that i knew
2: was going to be able to help me so the part of your healing has been plant medicine and i have to be honest i googled the term because it's so generic to me right <laughs> and we heard it so many times that i wanted to have like a, a more proper google definition and when I Googled it, you know, in my mind, it was something different, but, you you know, they're calling it a brewed drink that's psychoactive that can sort of take your mind out of this anxiety pattern. But, you know, give us an idea of what type of plant medicine you use. I think you use psilocybin and ayahuasca. And mm-hmm. if you can just talk to us generally about what is plant medicine and then what specifically did you use and what is it? Because people may want to know what is psilocybin what is ayahuasca and how does it really work because these are things that will give you this altered state of reality right they're psychedelics but they have extremely powerful healing properties for people with chronic lyme disease so if you could just share a little bit about that for our listeners please
1: yeah yeah so plant medicine is kind of generic i kind of use that term generically on purpose um you know because uh, um, cannabis medicine can fit into plant medicine basically anything that comes from a plant um and I I use it generically on purpose because I don't take plant medicine lightly, especially psychedelics. It's not something that I would just say everybody should try ayahuasca because there's a lot of nuances, a lot of things that you need to know, and it's not for everybody. Um, so psilocybin is comes from mushrooms, so ma- you know magic mushrooms, and basically it um, it alters your reality. Um, it works by, um, you know, causing you to release more serotonin and like, there's some things that it does. Um, but basically it alters your reality. It gives you a different perspective and mushrooms are amazing. Like mushrooms are kind of, they're like part plant, part animal. They've been around on this earth longer than us. They, um, kind of orchestrate whole environments of, of forests. And there's this whole underground system, um, the mycelium of, of the mushrooms, they communicate with each other. They, they like help other trees. Like it's, it's just amazing. I don't even like there's, there's whole documentaries on mushrooms. So like mushrooms are amazing. Um, and, and there's also medicinal mushrooms, you know, like things like reishi and things that are good for your immune system. So I, I use those as well, but the, the psychedelic mushrooms, they, get you into this other reality where you can have these epiphanies that you might not otherwise be able to have. And you can, it, it's possible. There's other techniques that you can do. You don't have to jump to psychedelics and they're not safe for everybody. If you're on certain medications and things like that. Um, but it, for me, it just like, it's this connection to nature. It's like, uh, it puts you in this different world where you're connected to nature and you have this profound experience that you just can't have otherwise. And um, there's actually studies at John John Hopkins where they're using psilocybin. They have a study with Lyme patients now um, that they're enrolling people in. And so, yeah, like for me, the first time I, I had this experience with psilocybin mushrooms, it was on a hike with a shaman. And I had this epiphany that I have everything I need already inside of me. And that was like, the first big epiphany that really, really shifted my healing and really made me realize how much power I had. And I also had this mourning for this loss of connection to nature. Like I had realized that I hadn't been fully embracing nature and that like, yeah, I was just like living my life in my box in my apartment and then going to my box in the pharmacy. And like, I hadn't been really enjoying the outdoors since, since I was a kid, like the last time I had really played in the dirt and played with bugs and things was like, when I was a kid, And I just had kind of taken n- nature for granted. So I had this like big epiphany, this big morning for that and realized like nature actually can heal me. And like, I have everything I need inside of myself. I am nature. I need to be in nature um, in order to heal. And I am nature and just being, and just like being away from humans and boxes and just like being in nature is healing. And it was like, so simple, yet so profound, like, this is all I need.
2: (laughs) So, so interesting you bring this up, because I think there's at two different phases of the healing journey, this is an important message. The first one is even if you are homebound, and you are really sick, and you're struggling, that doesn't mean you should be stuck in your box of your home, right? You should, you can still walk out, put your feet, in the in the dirt, and you can go out and get some sun, and that in itself is very healing. That's going to help the nervous system. That's going to help all kinds of things that people would be shocked to learn about how valuable the nature and soil and sun can be in the healing process. Even going to sitting at sitting at the beach if you're near a beach, right? And I think that's an important message that we all need to hear. And the other and the other message for me was this was a hard one for me. You get comfortable, right? So I go from my box, which is my home, to my box, which is work, and then for a while. I couldn't do anymore. I would just crash because I was so sick. But then as I started to get better, it became routine. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing more than I needed to. And as I started to realize I could start to socialize, I can start to have a life and not just work and survive. That was pivotal for me also, because I started to feel better because mentally I felt better. I started to push myself more physically. And that really sort of jump-started that part of my healing journey as well. So I think we get stuck in these ruts and these routines thinking this is the best it's gonna get, but we have to realize there's more to life, right? And that's kind of what I'm hearing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of building upon what you just said. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. identifying when is the right time to push yourself because somebody who's who's homebound, you know, even just being outside for five minutes and then maybe increasing it over time to 10 minutes and 20 minutes, a half hour, or if somebody's working but they're really struggling, trying to meet, maybe have, you know, a cup of tea with a friend, even if it's at the house or going out to, to do something or things like that, because we need to, as we heal and we can heal, gradually reintroduce, reintroduce ourselves back to life and be happy. Right. And that's something yeah. I think that many of us miss during the healing journey.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, it's like knowing what's actually nourishing you versus like, oh, I should go meet this friend for tea because they want to, and I haven't been doing anything, but maybe that's not like the best relationship. Like that's different than like, Oh, this is nourishing to me. I'm going to feel energized after I meet with this person, this person really cares about me. And so like, yeah, if you could just go outside, if you're homebound, if you could just like go lay in the dirt, you're going to, that's going to be better than laying in your bed. Like, because you're going to be getting those healing electrons from the earth and you're going to be getting some sunshine. And so whatever you can do that feels nourishing to you, or maybe it's bath like laying in a bath that can help people kind of get into that parasympathetic state. Um, so it's, it's kind of knowing the difference between like what's going to actually nourish you versus what's like just like like having those boundaries. So you know what's actually healing to you versus like what's an obligation that's actually kind of taking away
2: from your healing. Let me ask you a controversial question. And it may not be as controversial now as it was a little while ago, but I was somebody who was extremely afraid of COVID when it first came out. And I worked all throughout COVID, but I was a complete freak at work and I wouldn't let anybody come near me. I had, everybody had to be, you know, full on N95 masked and you had to stay really far away from me. Right. But I've gradually, as I've, you know, continued to heal. And as I've, you know, life has moved on, I'm now in a place where you know, people are going to be sick, right? And there's some there's something to be said about exposure to common microbes to build up immunity to these things, right? But where's that balance? Because I feel like I went from a balance of being like over the top afraid, which wasn't good for me, to now maybe being a little too lax where I mean, I'm just, you know, in large gatherings, people can have the sniffles. I mean, it's, you know, I have friends that have kids that are in school, and they're getting sick from their kids, and it could be cool. But, you know, where's that balance in life to have Not having fear of getting sick, because even putting COVID aside, many people in the Vlad community have compromised immune systems and they get sick all the time, right? I was there, I got sick all the time. But as you heal, how do you break through that piece as well? And with your background as a pharmacist, obviously you went to medical school and you worked with a ton of doctors. What are your thoughts on that component? Because I think that fear of getting sick or that fear of catching COVID also holds a lot of us back too. And I think there's a balance that has to be struck there as well. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, I mean my thought is that fear is the worst thing for your immune system. So being afraid is not the way to go. Um again, it's that mindset piece where if you feel like you're resilient, if you feel like you're healthy, if you feel like your immune system is strong, your genes are actually responding to those thoughts. And that's going to put you in a much better position than to be afraid. Um that's just destroying your immune system. So I, yeah, I, I just focus on resiliency and what I do want instead of focusing on what I don't want.
2: So I'm going to finish up with one last question because I know Amanda has a lot to talk to you about. Obviously you're, you're better, you're, you're in remission today. You're helping a ton of people. You have, you have Lyme support, right? You're doing all these great things. And and Amanda's going to talk to you about that. But the question I want to ask you about, and this is just so for me, interesting, you made a comment on your questionnaire saying, you're all about herbs. When there's a natural option, you take it and you avoid pharmaceuticals whenever possible. And you're a pharmacist and you're yeah. avoiding pharmaceuticals. So I'm like, what a radical transformation you've had to say, I was working in a pharmacy at a hospital for six years. I wasn't happy. It wasn't fulfilling. Now I'm working at a compounding pharmacist where it's more my type of people. And hey, look, I want to explore natural options ever before looking at pharmaceutical options, but you're still, you know, you're still a pharmacist by by trade, right? So just give us an idea as to how that transformation occurred. And kind of where you're at, your mindset is at now with all that before, Amanda jumps in and talks to you about all the great stuff you're doing today to give back to the Lyme community.
1: Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I alluded to earlier when I said I feel like a fraud in my profession because I I don't put pharmaceuticals in my body at all if I can help it. Um, and and that's why now I, I just do health coaching. I really, I don't work in an actual physical pharmacy because it got to the point where I, I did feel like it was kind of this conflict within me. Like, how can I recommend... Or dispense these things to people that I wouldn't even put in my own body. Um, and, And there's no judgment, you know, everybody's free to do what they want with their own body. There's no judgment there. It's just, I'm biased toward natural things. And that's because the body sees any chemicals, any pharmaceuticals as a toxin, it's something foreign and your body has to process it. It has to filter it out. It has to get to work. And when you're already sick, especially and your immune systems already overloaded, you don't want to give your body more, more of a toxic load and more things that it has to process. And so I like to use things that are as natural as possible so that the body recognizes it and doesn't have to, to work at all basically. Um, And yeah, there's you know, just because it's an herb or supplement doesn't mean it's completely safe or there's no drug interactions or anything like that, you know, but, um, if I can give myself something more natural that my body knows what to do with instead of a chemical, that's the way that I go.
0: So Dr. Asnu, um, listening to your entire journey, you know, and it certainly sounds like it's been one heck of a journey that you've been on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from my own journey that I this there was so much that I learned just from going through, you know, having lime. What part of this journey for you would you say has been beautiful? Or have you been able to find beauty in? You know, and what is it that you feel like going through this illness, getting your diagnosis, healing yourself, um, has taught you about yourself or about the world that you feel like you would have never known if you hadn't gone through this?
1: Everything. (laughs) Like like, the (laughs) whole way that I see the world. Like, um, yeah, it's like a complete paradigm shift of how I see the world, of how I live my life. Um, You know, I can't like work in a system that I don't believe in. Um, You know, now I I live more off the land. I've got like chickens and turkeys and just live a simpler life. Um, I don't think I would have, I know I wouldn't have like discovered all of this if I hadn't been sick. Um, Everything to like our food system, to our medical system, to everything. Um, I just feel like I can't really live in the the normal world um, like everybody else in order to be really healthy. And so I kind of just have to do things on my own terms and I don't think I would have got to that point if I wasn't sick. Um, I, yeah, like I, I feel like the whole journey is beautiful because I wouldn't be where I'm at today. If I didn't have that um, so much so that I call the tick my spirit animal now, <laughs> uh, because I feel like it's given me so much um, yeah. because of, of where I am now. And I know that, you know, if I had been perfectly healthy, I would have just worked a a normal job and done, you know, what my boss has told me to do and eat the same food that's in the system that everybody else eats and be watching TV and not thinking for myself. And yeah, now I just kind of live my life in a different way and I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: And that sounds amazing to hear because the difference from at the beginning when you felt like you had no control over anything in your life and now listening to you, it sounds like you have full agency over who you are how you live your life and everything that you choose to do that's pretty amazing yeah
1: yeah Yeah, it is i'm very happy
0: (laughs) so from the little girl who wanted to be a teacher when she was younger you know and had hopes and aspirations of teaching people um to going through your journey to being ill to being a pharmacist to then you know being where you are now um what is it that you know you want to give out into into the world what is what is your gift you know like how do you feel called to show up in yeah. the world
1: now well the the interesting thing is i do feel like i'm a teacher now because i'm teaching yeah. others how to live healthy and it's like So it's kind of come full circle because that's always been my passion is to help others through teaching that like, if you can give somebody the gift of learning something for themselves, that's a lot better than just giving them something in the moment. Um, So I am teaching. And even though I've had kind of like, you know, my, my own conflict within myself being a pharmacist, because it hasn't felt authentic, I think it gives me more credibility because I've been in that medical world. I've seen that side. And then I've also seen the natural holistic side. And that's what I'm passionate about is the natural, the holistic, the mindset work, the emotions, the things that you can actually control and showing people that they actually have the power over their disease. They have the power to control these symptoms and to get better. And I don't think, you know, if I hadn't had this whole journey, um, I wouldn't realize that to the extent that I do now. So I wouldn't be able to help people in that same way if I just had one perspective.
0: I agree. And I think that the work that you're doing is so important and is so, so needed. It's so necessary. We need more people like you out here, you know, helping and educating because there's still a a massive gap.
1: Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, people really need help. Um, the system is really failing you if you go through the traditional system with something like this.
0: Yeah. So uh, penultimate question, then, if somebody that you love, um, came to you today, and they've been bitten by a tick, what would you recommend that they do?
1: Um, well, I would recommend that they look at the tick boot camp <laughs> guide because it's pretty, <laughs> it's um pretty in depth. Um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend removing the tick, um, you know, saving it, sending it in to see w- what all is in there so that we have an idea of what we're treating, um, cleaning the area. I, I would put like a bentonite clay um, like a uh, compound on it to kind of, draw out any toxins. Um, I would start herbs, you know, consider antibiotics depending on the circumstances and, and what the person wants to do. I would look at cutting out anything that's going to cause inflammation in the body. So like sugar is a big one, you know, sugar, flour, things like that. Um, anything that we can do for inflammation, Um, beefing up, you know, detox, um making sure that we're really caring for ourselves caring for our health during that time um positive health affirmations and again like staying away from that fear and thinking about what we don't want instead thinking about what we want and kind of future pacing ourselves to see um to see us living a healthy life in the future and not having any issues um I'm big on affirmations and things like that and so um when we think about things we don't want, that's what we're telling the universe. Like if we're saying, I don't want cancer or I don't want this, that's the universe doesn't, doesn't acknowledge the don't part. They just hear um, the, the part that we're fixating on. So I would fixate on being healthy and vibrant and not having any issues. And then, you know, of course, track any symptoms and be aware of Lyme literate doctors in your area should any symptoms arise.
2: Dr. Arsenault, I just want to ask you as a final question. I know that was supposed to be the final question, but this has been such a powerful interview. And just first of all, the the way you and Amanda have just gone back and forth, this has been brilliant and extremely powerful. And the information you discuss is going to help thousands and thousands of people. So thank you so much. But if people want to learn even more, I know you have this, this free training on your website, how you cured your chronic Lyme. And the number one thing people need to know that doctors aren't talking about. So where can people go to get that free training and also to learn more about you and possibly working with you as a partner?
1: Yeah, it's limesupportcom slash Heal, H-E-A-L. That's where you can get the training.
2: And I just want to, again, thank you, Amanda, so much for coming back. As you know, Amanda, we said it offline. You are one of our favorite podcast guests ever. And now Dr. Arsenault, oh, you. You, you are as well. So to have two of our best guests ever on a podcast has just made my weekend. And I just want to tell everybody, I've been texting Rich this whole time and he has extreme FOMO and he's just so jealous of this brilliant, <laughs> brilliant podcast. So for both Dr. Arsenault and Amanda, thank you so much for making our weekend and helping so many people in the line community.
1: Thank you. I appreciate thank you.
0: it. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Dr. Arsenault. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Asno, please check out her website at limesupport.com. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a TickBite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at TickBootcamp.com bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode downloads of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list or share feedback, please visit our website on tickbootcamp.com. Thank you as always for listening.